Greetings everyone, this is V, aka Vernon English, and no, this is not a podcast to put you to sleep. No, 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 that's not what I made this for. It's not to put people to sleep. It's actually to entertain you just a little bit, quite slightly, in between you going to and fro your job or wherever you need to go. Excuse me, I got light up slip. So, how's everyone doing in LA? No, <laughs> this is the Hearing Colors to Kill Sounds podcast. Hit the pot, hit the subscribe button, let someone know about it and the series, or just generally point them to my Instagram, which is Lotus V Word, or you could just send them to Amazon and you can point them to uh, the page. And I'm really excited because I, I really or rarely show it. Um, when it comes to my own creative aspect or not aspect of how I show it, uh, being a male, you, you kind of generally don't get too excited about the stuff that you do, but you, you talk about it enough. And I find myself telling people about my book. I'm like, yo, 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 you got to check it out. And they're like, all right, cool. <laughs> and, and I get that. So being an adult and not being, you know, super over enthusiastic for someone else's excitement but i get excited about certain things and i very rarely show it but this book is coming on right along uh it's on point i can't really honestly say that there's nothing that i'm not excited about expressing it to you and the way that i go about writing is always different um to the outside it would look like i'm just a lazy bum but i'm like whoa mm. Mm. how do you take time to think or where does an artist take his time to actually formulate sentences after talking to people or after working I don't even know how many hours so for me I take the time just throughout the week and go throughout all of these things that I had in my head that I took as notes and scenarios and scenes and combine them together Almost as if I'm just melding them, melding them like building blocks, if you will. And then it comes into a story. And, and this is one of the culminations of it. And uh, the last one that I was talking about was the Band of the Crow. And that one is just an interesting character just to begin with in general. And pun intended because she literally is a woman general. And you generally... Aha, uh-huh, pun intended. <laughs> One second. You generally don't have many strong female characters in literature in general. Just from, you know, that rememberable scenes or things that people often come back to as cultural references. And I often see like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or you see other famous actors, but never someone mentioned like, oh, yeah, I remember Sandra Bullock in Speed. Yeah, man, that was that was amazing. Like, it's always a supporting character. And when there is, you know, strong female characters, it's often uh, placed under um, just that. And, And I just didn't want it to be something that is... I don't know, female-oriented. I wanted it to be an homage to all these different characters or strong women that I saw in my life. 
And I said on the last podcast that I used to watch uh, Xena, Warrior Princess. And that was a pretty gnarly series. It's pretty funny. Um, just in the comedy, but the action sequences and the impossibilities of her swinging a giant sword, half her size, <laughs> and, you know, felling all these other different beings and creatures. But I, I found it highly entertaining and I loved it. And it inspired me to create Crow. Now, if one was to say, okay, she's like five foot five, uh, probably a buck, a hundred pounds wet or something like this, or even less. And how can she fell a giant man that's probably like eight feet tall or something like this? The point of me making these impossibilities is not to have science come back and then bite me in my ankles. No, it's just to say that in this world of celestial, which is the size of the sun, there is an inordinate amount of things that are not written down or things that are possible in our world, but impossible in celestial and vice versa. And so one of the things that I wanted to in the first book was established was her character. And the fact that she was already established, she already had her men, she was already hitting people on top of the head and telling them to look at her sideways and that would be the last mistake that they would ever make type of mentality. And the book ended, or the, rather the first book ended with her um, fighting uh, these other men because the men claimed that everyone forgot their memories because God was angry. And then basically her men and herself were looking at them like, wait a minute, hold on. Are you kidding me? Like everyone forgot their memories and now you're spouting something that no one even knows the concept of. That's a bit unfair. And to say that it is their fault when they don't even know, you know what I'm saying? Like they forgot their memories. It's all scrambled up. And now you're blaming some unknown entity upon them. And... She basically and the rest of her men, like they went into fisticuffs and blows and fights over just this because she thought a woman or rather God was a woman because she had her own experience. She was on the battlefield and uh, she saw this golden woman or rather woman on a gold. She had like golden hair and she had, like a golden aura and told her to get up in battle and to continue fighting. And nobody else, none of her men witnessed it. Only she saw it, right, in a vision because she got knocked in the head in the middle of battle. And that was her, you know, testimony, if one was to have, of God, or rather a, an experience of an entity that was not, quote-unquote, of normalcy. <laughs> we'll just say normalcy. Now, I, I very rarely say that because I'm not normal, nor are any of the things that I say normal, not meant to be. But for this story and for continuity's sake, I'll just mention that she just, without a shadow of doubt in her mind, thought that God was a woman, or at least alluded to some entity that way. And um, yeah, the, the whole purpose of me creating that in the first book was to create that whole scenario and then I just leave it like uh, a needle on a record. And I go into the second book and plow through all these other different stories. But I never comment on why uh, or what happened afterwards. I mean, obviously someone won, but 
yeah, she still stands. And throughout the story and throughout her reign, or rather her, what do you call this? Um, not even a pilgrimage, but just a campaign that she's going through because people forgot their memories and her and her men traveled through handling these bandits and handling all of the chaos and in their own way or own sense of judgment uh, weigh down and grab tools, grab all the other things, help women and children and send them on their way and then uh, get more men in their ranks based off of if they can fight or not. And the thing that I wanted as an Easter egg to know uh, for you guys is that the golden goddess that she saw is the one that I commented on in the last piece and that one I didn't even give a name to but I alluded to that she was supposed to be at the meeting for or what was to happen to Celestial underneath the ground um, that same story where the young kid meets up with the green king and then they go off and then they meet up with this giant, this mermaid, sand angel, and other beings from different dimensions to determine what is to happen on the surface. And she was the one that was late to the meeting and didn't even show, but she was just on the surface, just battling, just a battle axe, battle sword, everything you could think of on a giant horse, golden hair, woman, probably a buck, a hundred pounds, the same, and still, um, laying blood and, and laying siege to anyone who would look at her sideways and it, it's not an impossibility the thing that i want as to people to know if you've heard nothing from this entire podcast and this guy with a permanent tan behind these i don't even know wires and speakerphones is that if there are no books are no cds no hieroglyphs nothing recounting of the past then anything is possible and I want to stress that for anyone where it could be a dragon, it could be a mermaid, it could be uh, angels or whatever you can think of that exists when human beings or rather uh, they get to this mold and being an adult where the impossible is always impossible to them. And that is never the case in Celestial, literally. That thinking of that way would inevitably end someone's life prematurely thinking of that you know because i mean if that if i was in celestial first and foremost i would just think of like the world and its vastness and and how large it is literally then two the intricate parts of how someone presents themselves nature versus nurture do they like flip out go crazy or do they just start dealing with it in a very humanistic uh, approach and then the third would be obviously question mark question mark question mark and the things that nobody mentions or the things that go bump in the night or, or whatever you want to call it and the things that are world changing and one of the characters being um, Oleander basically fighting molten lava creatures and things like this these are Things for humans that are unimaginable, but are in the story so gingerly uh, placed. And, and even in today, obviously a parallel would be, you know, pyramids and looking at giant uh, structures and looking at these megla megaton, I don't even know if that's a word, but megla, uh, just a ton of brick or a ton of rock 
and how someone can craft that. And even to this day, we cannot replicate the same type of design. We cannot move said material in any way, shape, or form. So it's just where certain things that are question mark, question mark, question mark, I already wanted to, at the beginning of the story, to establish that this was not a normal story. This was completely science fiction. Anything you thought of previously, you leave that at the door and then you put on some house shoes or something and then come back <laughs> and then start reading the book and then you would understand where where I would begin. And so by request, I am describing Oleander from the first book and I could best describe it as this long-haired, silver, fair-skinned person. Um, definitely could be almond skin, definitely could be even fairer than that, but I had him as a force of destruction, literally, in the literal sense of the term. Uh, his power, I never alluded to him having memories or him remembering anything. He was just walking around and challenging others in a fight to feel this sense of alive, you know, being alive. And anyone that fell short of that, obviously their life ended prematurely, but it wasn't so much of evil. It was almost as if a kid wielding some giant weapon and testing others in their ability to remember one and then their ability and their prowess. It's, it's almost like a sword just going through a forest swinging at trees. And um, he, you know, finds enjoyment in battle but it's almost as if playing with human or playing with these parameters is, is almost as if playing with a toy. And um, it, it was a character based off of Final Fantasy VII, and his name is um, Sephiroth. But his story is totally different, and he's crazy. He's That dude is evil, but my character is different. And um, I just wanted to depict this as someone who... If you had that power, like, what would you do with it? Would you just, you know, sit under a tree and meditate and um, think of something? Or would you wield this sense of destruction and understand how far it goes or what the parameters are? And so unlucky villagers, unlucky refugees who run into him, obviously, run the other way. <laughs> uh, ref what is this? Uh bandits run into him and they end their lives you know by running into him because it's just they can't win mm -hmm. he's literally like laying siege and like almost a superman type of level of jumping and doing things and so a natural occurrence or an event happens in the first book where uh, a meteor shower happens and this is a meteor shower on the size of a, a sun planet and so it doesn't affect everything, but it definitely affects the area that they're in. And so it starts looking like a volcano, and then these molten creatures start jumping out of the fire. And so Oleander gets excited. Like, he's really, really, really excited to see something that he could test his might and his strength upon. And so he begins battling them, just like fist to fist, fist to cuffs. He's not even six feet, but his power, you know, and his might... Uh, matches them and he moves fast and, and it's just a, a crazy battle and 
that that's one of the characters that I create in the story and I may now that I'm mentioning him now uh, pick him up again just because it's, it's I never explain if he remembered his memories what his plight was he was just a force of destruction just period it's just off rip <laughs> no explanations his speech was something as if it was a cartoon character or something like that and usually people who are good have reasoning for doing good things and then people who are bad have reasoning for doing bad things but this character just wanted to exist what would at the essence of what someone was and their existence like how would you if all the memories are all scrambled up how would you persist like how would you go about I mean, you just go look at butterflies and flowers and then look at life, or would you go, and almost as in a sense that he was trying to prematurely end his life because of the might that he had, but I, I made certain analogies and different characters to balance this because as a writer, that's not how I feel. It's just as a part in what I wanted to create um, back then in 2014 when I wrote it. And so, yeah, it was just like a character of unrelenting just destruction and, and what that would mean to the rest of nature and what that would mean to the rest of that refugee humanity and the impact that that would have and would they inevitably like move out of the way? Would they, you know, do certain things? It's, it's a, a, a weird a picture or depiction. And another analogy I can give you, and I'll leave you with this, would be uh, Fujiko Mine. Fujiko Mine is from, obviously, Lupin III. And it was a great character to show me because I'm not a female. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. It's impossible. I'm kind of a grown-up right now. <laughs> so to show me a character that I had not versed in my head before is something in a new concept and she's a beautiful woman she's gorgeous her measurements are amazing she's great right so every man in the world wants her every woman wants her and that's not what she wants she wants something else and every man wants to give her all the money in the world grand places palaces jewels whatever clothes but she can get that all herself and so then even at the beginning of this show I'll show you the, the opening clip and she's just like what else is there that I haven't already gotten you know what else to an empty shell of a man uh, is it that you have you have nothing left else to give me that I haven't already seen or haven't already taken and I was sitting back like my mouth dropped and I was like <laughs> what <laughs> like not even a male character in my however many years of living has depicted something in an existential philosophical way to say what else is there in life that I haven't already experienced almost as if they had like experienced everything already and I was just sitting there and like knowingly like wow that's I've never seen that before that's really impactful and then I crafted a character um, named Rococo after that but I'm going to craft another few characters based off of this, like maybe two or three, because the character um, complexity is so 
in-depthful. Like, it's so many different layers of how someone can go about doing that. If she's a thief, then obviously she can get anything that she wants, and then there's nothing else a man can give her. And then if it's just a woman experiencing her life without her memories, the same thing can be said. Because it's like, well, this man says that he's this, and this other man says that he's that. They all have the same thing. How can I differentiate this one from the next? You know, I can see it with my eye and my intuition, but I mean, if this is the picket fence and this is life and this is happiness, then what else is there that I haven't already gained uh, just by saying yes? You know, what I mean, I can get all these things myself. What addition to him would add to my life and, and how would it just make it that much more better if I can do it myself? So that's all. Oh, and hit the subscribe button. This is V, a.k.a. Vernon English, with guest star Faye in the background. You can hit her up on Instagram. Um, Faye, Faye V. Grace. Faye V. Grace on um, Instagram, and you can find her on TikTok. So, yeah, I'm just in the cut. Uh, anyone who wants to guest star on L.A., let me up. Uh, excuse not let me up, but I'm up. <laughs> Let me know, and then I'll send the vocals, and we can do the chat and the phone calls. So, appreciate you guys. Peace, peace.